0: Please pray with me. Great is your faithfulness, O God, my Father. I stand in awe of your glory and your goodness. I am humbled by your majesty and your mercy. For 24 weeks, you have revealed your truth, the truth about your holy character and your holy will in the books of Esther and Galatians. Lord God, do not let us leave this study unchanged. Holy Spirit, impress upon our hearts the exact lessons you have to teach each one of us. Change us from glory to glory. Help us live filled with your fruit and faithfully dispensing your gifts. Solidify your truth in our minds as we close this study. Use me, your humble servant, Mortify my flesh, fill my mouth, utter your words to me and through me. This I pray in the wondrous name above all names, Jesus, the risen, reigning, and ruling Christ. Amen. Have you seen the fingerprints of God in our study this year? Did you diligently search for them every week? God's providence has been woven throughout the study of Esther and Galatians. He has graciously revealed his fingerprints in his word and in our lives as lessons just happen to coincide with current events and our daily lives. This lesson just happened to fall during Holy Week, and this lecture right on the heels of Easter. How have you seen God's fingerprints? What effect does the beautiful assurance of God's intimate presence have on you? God's sovereign grip on your life should fill you with peace, His peace. It should also give you an urgency to share His peace by sharing the gospel. If you are his child, you are his purveyor of peace and his agent of reconciliation. And how desperately the world needs God's peace. All around us there is clear evidence of a war that rages between good and evil, darkness and light. Our battle cry must be, O Lord, grant us peace. Believers have this peace living in them. It is part of the Holy Spirit's fruit living in them. Believers manifest this peace as they rest in God's sovereign goodness and grace. Believers work to give others this peace by knowing the gospel, living the gospel, and proclaiming the gospel. However, this is only accomplished Because on the cross, Christ liberated us from sin and granted us his peace. That is the powerful truth that wraps up the books of Esther and Galatians. The conclusion of these two books of the Bible contrasts God's peace with the world's peace. So our two divisions are peace of Messiah and peace of man. Our first division is Peace of Messiah, Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 17. Central to all the themes of Paul's letter to the Galatians is one overriding theme the cross. The Galatian church was embroiled in a controversy about the nature of salvation. In his final words, Paul makes one last plea to his beloved brothers to embrace the cross of Jesus Christ rather than the false teachers and their message of Jesus plus. Paul's plea is emotional. Verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. In our culture today, if we want to shout or yell when we communicate electronically, we write in all caps. This is what Paul is doing here. Normally, a scribe would write his letters. Here, he takes the pen and parchment from his scribe, and he boldly writes his final plea himself. He closes all his other letters with a brief benediction. His, his closing words are longer here. And his benediction is different. It's conditional. And his tone is sharp. The cross of Christ is his greatest passion. He wants his readers, including you and me, to know that Christ's work on the cross is sufficient to save us to the uttermost from our sin this means that it is sufficient to pay the penalty of sin to strip away the power of sin and ultimately to remove the very presence of sin indeed on the cross christ liberated us from sin and granted us his peace nothing else is needed In verses 12-13, through Paul reveals the motive of the Judaizers' false teaching. He says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. The false teaching of these false teachers was motivated by self-interest and a selfish agenda to make a good showing. They were forcing the Galatians to be circumcised, meaning that they had to become Jews before they became Christians. This nullifies the meaning of the cross. Scripture teaches that on the cross, Christ endured the punitive judgment of God in our place, He alone could make the atoning and satisfactory sacrifice for all the sins of all mankind. His death on the cross appeased or propitiated God's wrath by paying the death penalty for those sins, removing them from God's sight, and bringing in an everlasting peace and righteousness Pastor Erwin Lutzer writes that the cross stands as proof of God's great love, but also reveals our own ugliness. All races, nations, and cultures are divided by the cross. Everything depends on what we do with Jesus. Journey into the heart of Jesus at the cross, stand on holy ground. Hear his cries, see his selfless suffering, meditate on his perfect sacrifice for your sin. Behold how he loved us. The cross, properly understood, exalts no one whom it does not first humble. It gives life only to those whom it it first puts to death. Before the cross, we can only stand with bowed heads and a broken spirit. The Judaizers knew about Jesus' death on the cross. Many of them had likely had first-hand knowledge of it, but their minds were still steeped in Jewish culture and tradition. The Jews who rejected Jesus outright, were persecuting those who did not. The false teachers not only wanted the praise of man, they also wanted to avoid persecution. And the last part of verse 13 tells us that they were hypocrites and braggarts. It says, For even those who are circumcised, Do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. God's law required his people to keep every letter of it, but every single Jew under the law failed to do this the Judaizers were forcing the Galatians back under the law that they were utterly unable to keep themselves. Still, they were wrapped up in religious boasting, showing off how holy and righteous they were. Commentator Tony Meredith says that the application for you and me is clear. We either glory in the flesh or we glory in the Christ. Glorying in the Christ means that we glory in His cross. Paul taught us that our flesh must be mortified, put to death, so that we can walk by the Spirit in humble awe of our Christ and His cross. At the cross, all flesh is mortified, including pride. At the cross, we are humbled to the core, and all boasting evaporates. Paul sets the example for us in verse 14, saying, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified, to me and I to the world. Paul's words here are emphatic, absolute, The word boast means to glory in, make much of, be consumed with or obsessed with, or to be mastered by something. It refers to something that comes from deep within your soul. Negatively, Paul says, Do not ever boast in anything except the cross. Positively, he says, Only boast in the cross. Boasting in the cross means placing all confidence in Jesus Christ and exalting his work on the cross for your salvation, not any religious works or deeds. Tony Merida again says that cross exalters rest everything in what Christ has done. Cross exalters believe that Jesus died the life that we could not live and died the death that we should have died. Those who boast in the cross simply say, This is for my peace. Jesus died in my place. In other words, on the cross, Christ liberated us from sin and granted us his peace. Is this Your boast? Deep down in your soul, do you believe God accepts you because you are in Christ? Do you believe God's wrath against your sin has been absorbed by Christ and that you will never taste it? Because of the cross, you and I. Are new creations, united to Christ, we are dead to the world in all its claims on us. We are instead alive in Christ and the recipients of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Boast in the cross. Rejoice in it. Glory in it. Charles Spurgeon called this kind of boasting, grand glorying. He boasted that ever since he fell in love with Jesus Christ, he lost all love for the world. Paul would agree. His grand glorying boasted in the cross of Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Of this part of the verse, commentator Timothy George says, there is a triple Crucifixion, the crucified Christ, the crucified world, and the crucified Christian. The cross strikes a death blow to the world and all of its godless values and hopeless pleasure of an unredeemed and sin-dominated humanity. Spirit-led Christians mortify worldliness. They no longer think, talk, and act Like the world. They no longer take comfort in the world or value what the world values. Crucified to the world and to their own flesh, spirit led Christians are cross exalters. The cross of Christ is enough, nothing else is needed. At the cross, Christ liberated us from sin and granted us peace. The cross changed the world. It forever turned everything upside down. Believers live in a whole new world as a whole new being. Circumcision or any other religious deed counts for nothing with regard to our salvation. Verse 15 says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. At the cross, circumcision is irrelevant. It has absolutely nothing to do with our salvation from sin. Paul said this before in Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. The whole reason for his letter to the Galatians was to combat the line that the Judaizers were peddling. In Christ, nothing but his cross improves our right standing before our holy God. The only thing that counts is that we are new creations, inwardly transformed by the breath touch of the Holy Spirit of God. He alone turns sinners Into saints. He alone is the creative force who transforms us from the dead in from from being dead in our sins to new creations in Christ. The theological term for this transformation is regeneration. In regeneration, the Holy Spirit makes believers new creations in Christ. Of regenerated believers, 2 Corinthians 5.17 proclaims the dead is gone and the new has come. And this new creation has a new nature with new desires, new habits, and new affections. The Holy Spirit continues his work in us to sanctify us. He leads us to repentance and faith through the daily process of mortification And vivification. He continually grows us in holiness until we look just like Jesus in glory. And Paul says that every new creation in Christ receives this blessing. Verse 16 And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God as i mentioned earlier this blessing is conditional meaning there is something that we must do to receive it this blessing of peace and mercy is only for those who walk by this rule what rule is that Christ exalters stand firmly on the rule or the truth that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The cross of Christ is the standard by which Christians live. The cross of Christ alone determines who is inside or outside the family of God, not circumcision or any other good work. The last phrase of verse 16 says, And upon the Israel of God. The blessing of peace and mercy comes from a traditional benediction for Jews. But Paul uses it to refer to Jews and Gentiles alike. In this way, he says that the church of Christ is the new Israel. Philip Graham Ryken says that this provides continuity between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, between the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament church. The promises that God made to Israel are fulfilled in the true spiritual Israel, which is the church or the body of Christ. God has one people in Christ. And what unites them is the cross. We share a common boast in the cross and in the cross alone. Paul was a member of the true spiritual Israel. He had the battle scars to prove it. Verse 17, from now on let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The Judaizers had been nothing but trouble, following Paul all the way from Jerusalem to counter the truth of the gospel with their false gospel. Paul says, no more, no more. His words serve as a warning for every Christian as well. When we live cross-exalting lives, we too can expect trouble and opposition Glorying in the cross is costly. Some may even bear the marks of Jesus on their bodies, just as Paul's sufferings left the mark of Jesus on him. Because his preaching of the cross was offensive to some people, he was literally a marked man, beaten and bruised for boasting in the cross. He bore his scars as a badge of honor. Each scar represented his unwavering commitment to stand firm in the faith and proclaim the gospel of his Lord Jesus Christ. This is a strength that comes by grace alone. So Paul's final word speaks grace to his brothers in Christ. Verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. From Paul's example, we learn an important truth. That Jesus liberates us from sin to glory in the cross. That's our first truth. Jesus liberates us from sin to glory in the cross. What are you boasting about? Or glorying in? Is it anyone or anything other than Christ? How are you living a cross exalting life? Every true Christian has died with Christ and been raised to new life with Christ. Therefore, we must live for his cross. This is called the crucified life. Like Paul, we pray for the privilege of being so united to Christ that we share in his glory as well as his suffering. Like Paul, God's fingerprints are all over us. A songwriter named Jill Jackson was in a very dark and troubled place. At the point of her greatest need, God met her and gave her his gracious gift of peace and unconditional love. Her battle cry began, became, Oh Lord, grant me peace. And her God encounter inspired her song, Let There Be Peace on Earth. Like Miss Jackson, God gives all believers the same gift of peace, but it is not ours to keep. The second line of Jill Jackson's song follows up our battle cry with the words, Let it begin with me. We glory in the cross when we not only cry out, Oh Lord, grant us peace, but also surrender and say, Lord, let it begin with me. When this is our battle cry, God shapes us, then sends us to proclaim his perfect peace to the world, where the peace of man is no peace at all. That is what we see when we close the book of Esther. Our second division is Peace of Man, Esther chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 and 2, King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea and all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Medai and Persia? Following the victory over the enemy and a great celebration, the book of Esther ends on a sobering note. As great as their deliverance was, the Jews were still living in exile in Persia. They were still under the reign of the self-centered, self-serving King Ahasuerus. He celebrates with a tax hike and a footnote declaring his acts of power and might. He gives the God of Israel no glory. He boasts only in himself. The author of Esther also gives a shout-out to Mordecai. This has been the full account of the high honor of Mordecai, he writes. God's providence shines once again as the names of two lowly, insignificant Jews are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Medai and Persia. Through his providence, for his glory, for his people, God kept his covenant promises by placing Esther and Mordecai in positions of power to preserve his chosen people and punish his enemies. Through his providence, the events recorded in Esther also point straight to Jesus Christ, his promised Messiah and the Prince of Peace. Verse 3a. For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitudes of his brothers. Like Christ Mordecai was exalted in power. However, he is only second in rank to the earthly Persian king. Jesus is second to none. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He rules and he reigns now and forever, exalted in majesty on his throne in heaven. Unlike Christ, Mordecai was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers. Christ was rejected, betrayed, and crucified by his own people. Like Christ, Mordecai was God's instrument of peace. God used him, Esther, and the Jews to deliver his people from his enemies. Unlike Christ, Mordecai had help. The Persian officials and the Jewish people banded together to gain the victory. Christ stood alone in the battle for our ultimate deliverance on the cross. Even his closest friends and family scattered as he hung on the cross. Christ alone achieved complete victory over sin and death. On the cross he hung in shame and humiliation, just like Haman and his sons. Unlike Haman, Jesus Christ was innocent, sinless. He was hung on the tree to bear the curse our sin deserves. On the cross, he bore the full brunt of God's just wrath as he was crucified in our place. He did that for you and for me to liberate us from sin and grant us his peace. As the one and only Prince of Peace, he alone could bring us eternal and true liberation. He alone could give us the eternal and true peace and rest from the enemy of our souls at the cross. He crushed Satan's head. He is a totally defeated enemy. Hallelujah. What a Satan. Esther closes with these words. The second part of verse 3. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. These words refer to the work Mordecai did in his exalted position in the Persian Empire. But again, they point us straight to Jesus Christ. Mordecai spoke peace. Jesus Christ is peace, the Prince of Peace. On the cross, he died in our place as the perfect Lamb of God to give us his peace, true peace. His substitutionary death gives us peace with God, peace within ourselves, and peace with each other. The peace of Messiah, not man. For this reason, God protected his people, the line of his promised Messiah. Commentator Landon Dowden writes, Somewhere, in the empire were those who one day would be recorded in the messianic genealogies listed in the gospels. We do not know where they were, but God did. He kept them alive so that when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God kept them alive, so that through them his son might be sent, and through his death we are granted life. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, Paul writes, In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, In other words, in Christ, the decree of death has been destroyed. His peace is given to us because on the cross, he liberated us from sin. He did that to grant us his peace. Like Mordecai, you and I must speak this peace to all people. The cross liberates us from sin to speak God's peace to the world. That's our second truth. The cross liberates us from sin to speak God's peace to the world. What evidence do you have that you have been liberated from sin and filled with God's peace? How many different attributes of God have been revealed to you this year? Has this revelation of God's character helped you understand and share the truth about God and his peace with others? How are you doing that? The truth about God is under attack and man's world knows no peace. This was true in ancient Persia and ancient Galatia, and it is true today. A few years ago, a Facebook post from a 25-year-old relative of mine illustrated this tragic reality. She posted a very artistic photo of her hands. At the center of the photo was a cross. Below it, she shared this quote. Every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. And the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded because the elements... All the things that matter for evolution and for life weren't created at the beginning of time. They were created in the nuclear furnaces of stars. And the only way for them to get into your body is if those stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus The stars died so that you could be here today. Even more astounding than that, the responses to her post expressed exhilaration at the deepness of her spirituality. I asked her friends, what do you mean? by spirituality. One response was, it means different things to different people. For me, it means feeling connected to things and at peace with the world. We are all entitled to believe whatever we want to believe and speak our minds freely. If our beliefs do not align with yours, then so be it. We aren't going to ridicule you for it. And we should get the same respect in return. This is what we are up against in the war for Christianity. Forget Jesus in favor of exploding stars? Will you allow upcoming generations to forget Jesus, the one who spoke the stars into existence? They will if you and I fail to proclaim the truth about Him, they will, if we fail, to pray for them and speak God's peace to them, the peace that is found at the cross of Jesus Christ. He has the true peace that they so desperately need. From the depths of our souls, may the battle cry arise, O Lord, grant us, Peace. The cross liberates us from sin so that we can speak God's peace to the world. Have you seen the fingerprints of God? You and I know God. The real God as he reveals himself in scripture. We know more about his holy character today than we did in September. We have seen his fingerprints. In Galatians, those fingerprints pulsed life into the character and the teaching about God's saving work. In Esther, although God is not named, his fingerprints are everywhere coloring his behind-the-scenes work. On the cross, Christ liberated us from our sin and granted us his peace. Therefore, we must answer the call to speak his peace to this war weary world. Engage in the battle against darkness and evil, my friends. Shine the light of Christ into the darkness proclaim the goodness of God and paralyze evil there is no better way to live out your faith than as an instrument of God's peace surrender to the Holy Spirit's transforming work mortify your flesh and let him fashion you into an instrument of God's perfect peace Then enter the fight with a loud battle cry, O Lord, grant us peace. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, sisters. Amen and amen. I want to close with a prayer adapted from John Piper um, in his book, A Hunger for God. Lord God, we are not able in ourselves to win this battle, to attain this peace. We are not able to change hearts or minds. We are not able to change worldviews and transform culture and save millions of men, women, and children. We are not able to reform the governments and judicial courts or mobilize the slumbering population. We are not able to heal the endless wounds of godless ideologies and their bloody deeds. But you, oh God, you are able. So we turn from our reliance on ourselves to you. And we cry out to you and plead that for the sake of your name and for the sake of your glory and for the advancement of your saving purpose in the world. And for the demonstration of your wisdom and your power and your authority over all things. And for the sway of your truth and the relief of the poor and the helpless. Act, O God. We hunger for your power. Your presence to be revealed. We hunger for your true and perfect peace to reign. Come, Almighty God. Manifest your glory. Oh, Lord, bless us and keep us. Make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Oh, Lord, turn your face toward us and give us peace. Until we meet again, in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.